You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I am here. Aaron is here. This show's presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for Windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them that we told you to call. Tommy will be calling in from Florida. Scott, hopefully, as well on the show. Um, I'll start with, well, I'll start with Game of Thrones because just before we started to record, Aaron was explaining to me that he is getting into a pool on... Explain how this one works because it's a death pool. It's a death pool, right. but it was uh, so there were I think nine or ten people in the draft, and you uh, so we each pick four people, but in you know snake order, and you get points if they die for each episode they survive this season. So the the you know you want the longer they di- survive the better. The longer they but as long as they die eventually. Oh, so they have to die they eventually, have to die. but you're picking. Okay, you're picking characters from the show so that you I, hope will so survive I, for you want five who, of the six episodes yes, and die in the sixth exactly. and final episode. We are less than a month, or right around a month and counting, until Game of Thrones' final season. There's six episodes, um, ranging in length, uh, Aaron explained to me. Um, the first few are scheduled to be only about an hour. We were thinking that we were going to get full-length movies, like six of them. Um, but then I guess the final three or four episodes get much longer. Yeah. Uh, who have, have you drafted yet? Or yeah. Not? Yeah. We we finished up the draft. I uh, so my, tell my first, me who you have. All right. I have uh, Gregor Clegane. Okay. So pretty solid first pick there. He's got to die in a major way at some point. I figure he survives at least mid season. Kyburn. Uh, I thought that was a sneaky second pick. He's going to die right with Cersei. I think. I have. Uh, well, he. Sh- I mean. Yes, he should die with Cersei whenever she dies. I just don't think she's going to die early. And that's that's yeah, the that's good the thing. point. Okay, yes, got that's it. That's the good thing. Well, he yes. Okay, go ahead. Uh, I have Melisandre, the Red Woman. Yeah, I would see. What are the odds? Are there odds on on dying? I've got to think that she is up there. I, I'm sure she's up there to die. I just I can't figure out exactly. Red where Jesus she has to test <laughs> die early in the show. That that would be the one problem. Is she dies. You know, quickly. she's beautiful in real yes. life. Yes. I mean, she's she's gorgeous on the show, but she's. I, I saw her interviewed once. She's very pretty. All right, yeah. go ahead. And then my my last pick, which was pretty much just who's still le- who's still left on the board, because when you think about, it, there's only about forty like named characters left. Uh, I have Miss Sande. Uh, why? Mainly, be, I mean, mainly because I was. Do you think I, Daenerys is? I mean, no, but I could see them if they are looking for something to. Something has to affect Daenerys in a big way. So if you're take, you know, you want her to go through a mental journey. Taking out basically her only friend would be a way to do that. And also it got to a point where it was, you know, like the the people who were going in the fourth round were, you know, Jon Snow went right before it, Harry Strickland, Podrick Payne. What Robin about the Greyjoys? What about Yara or oh, Theon? I mean, they, they win the first round. You, you, oh, that's right. See, I keep thinking about who I, I'm thinking yeah, will no, die the, early. The, the first picks in order were Cersei, Jamie. I picked Gregor Clegane. The Night King went after it. Then Theon, Euron, Daenerys, Yarin, and Tyrion. Because nobody thinks Sansa or Arya are going to die, right? Or yeah, John. I mean, they, they were picked both in the third round. Yeah. But. All right. I, I think it's a complicated way to do the pool. I would just pick the pool based on picking people to die first or die last. Yeah, but then it gets boring. You, you, <laughs> you want more points. Come on. Okay. Uh, we will be on this podcast, I guarantee it, talking about each Game of Thrones, Thrones final season 
episode. Um, Aaron and I are both into it, and hopefully some of you are as well. And I've said this a million times over the last six or seven years, probably five years. If you think it's a show that you wouldn't like because it's somehow a fantasy or sci-fi or whatever, I'm totally with you, and I was with you until I actually started to watch it, and then I've convinced most of my friends that hate sci-fi movies and hate fantasy you know, uh, movies as well to watch it, and they've all uh, thanked me for doing it. You will is also. Uh, Van Pelt's the one holdout. Of all my friends, he's the one holdout. He will not watch it. I'm like, you're making him. And Tommy. Although Tommy th- has thought about it once or twice. All right, let's start with the Redskins. Um, enough of this. Um, lots of news yesterday with the actual official start of free agency in the league year. All right, yesterday was the actual start of the league year in free agency. Not Monday, but we told you last week that you were going to start hearing things over last weekend and that Monday it would really heat up, and it did. Um, The Skins released, uh, as we were on the air yesterday, or as we were recording yesterday, they released Zach Brown and Stacey McGee. Not a surprise. They officially announced the trade uh, for Case Keenum. Uh, They officially announced the signing of Landon Collins. There are some reports out there that the Redskins would like to re-sign Haha Clinton Dix. Ian Rappaport had that. Um, We'll get to that in a few minutes. There was also a report um, or a tweet from J.P. Finley um, uh, implying that the Redskins still have a potential splash trade or signing of a wide receiver. We'll get to that in a few minutes as well. Um, They are re-signing Adrian Peterson to a two-year deal Uh, worth $8 million, and so I'm going to start with that because that was the big news after the podcast yesterday. I will begin with, I am fine with it. Um, He was at times, not at, he was most of the time the best player on the team last year. Let me repeat that for emphasis, okay, because on a team that lacked great performers last year, he had many more great performances or really good performances than anybody else on the team, other than the punter, Tressway, part-time quarterback, according to Stephen A. Can Adrian Peterson do it again at 34 years old? I have no idea. But at the end of last season, right, not the beginning, at the end of last season, his age was 33. He had his best game. The game at Tennessee on December 22nd was a loss. But it really had a chance, if you recall, to be one of the more improbable wins in recent franchise history. Really, I'm not exaggerating. I I know there isn't much memorable from the Redskins of 2018, but that game in Tennessee, when the Skins were actually still mathematically in playoff contention with a 7-7 record, they had nobody. They had their fourth quarterback in Josh Johnson. They had third and fourth string offensive guards. They had third and fourth string tight ends. They had guys called up for that game that got into the game with names and jersey numbers that none of us had heard or seen of. They were the most injured team in the league and on the road against a team that also had to win to keep their playoff hopes alive. They were huge underdogs, 11-point underdogs to Tennessee in that game in Nashville at the end of the year. The biggest underdog they had been all year long, and yet they nearly pulled off a miracle win. It helped that Blaine Gabbert was playing, 
because Mariota got hurt in the first half. That certainly helped matters. But it was Adrian Peterson's performance that day that kept the Redskins competitive. It was an incredible performance. It was his best game of the year, not even close. He was quick. He was decisive. He was powerful. He was trying to will the team to a win by himself. The numbers weren't the greatest you'll ever see, 119 yards on 26 carries, but he wanted so badly to carry the team to the playoffs by himself. He played that day like his life depended on it. I remember watching that game and saying, my God, what a physical competitive freak Adrian Peterson is today at 33 years old, late in a season in which he had already played 14 games to that point. I have advocated for the blow it up strategy. This is what I think the team should have done. But given that the team doesn't agree, they're of a different mindset, I can only now judge based on what their intention is. Their intention is to try to be the best possible team they can be in 2019. So I am more than okay, based on that, with them bringing Adrian Peterson back. The contract is a really good one for the team. I mean, this is what Bruce and Eric Schaefer do well. Two years, $8 million, but nearly half of the $8 million is incentive-based. So if Darius Geis turns out to be a really good player and can carry the load next year, and it's not a shared load, it's just a Geis load with Peterson spelling Geis, well, then Peterson won't be on the roster in 2020. He won't reach those incentives, and it would have been really inexpensive. It's an insurance policy, just like Case Keenum was to a certain degree. Geis is coming off an ACL injury, a post-operation setback from that surgery, Um, And there's a chance that he's not going to be what they want him to be as early as they want him to be it. So Peterson, again, like Case Keenum, a solid insurance policy. A very Bruce Allen-like deal, a good one for the team contractually. I'll go a step further, though. I like this deal because if you're trying to be competitive now, you have now added your best competitor, and simply put, the best player on last year's team. Period. This was the team's best and toughest competitor and best player. Adrian Peterson may be, for the second straight year, the player more than any other on that roster that can keep the team competitive in the majority of its games. Imagine last year's team without Peterson, a team that really struggled to stretch the field with Alex Smith, to throw the football, period, with Alex Smith. Peterson averaged over four yards per carry without a lot of room to run. Think about the games that they had a chance to win or actually did win. In almost all of them, he was their offensive MVP. This is low risk. It's an insurance It's upside for next year anyway, keeps them competitive next year. Again, let me repeat my my point here uh, that I would have preferred the blow-it-up strategy. I would have preferred not worrying about trying to be competitive in 2019, but that's not the direction they're going. So in going in that direction, keeping Peterson for the contract that they signed him to is a good deal. 
you know, if he's not physically close to what he was last year, you're not gonna. It's not gonna hurt you that much. He's a player the Redskins need to keep to keep themselves from potentially being a god awful offensive football team. He will save them from being god awful offensively. They were awful offensively last year. Let's not forget. It's been a couple months since the season left. They were the 31st ranked offense in offensive efficiency per football outsiders. And that was with him last year. Imagine what it would have been without him. 32nd. Couldn't go any lower than that. But when they were competitive offensively, it was because of him. So again, for the purposes of avoiding, you know, in their case, a potential another, uh, you know, another terrible offensive season, I like they're bringing him back. He was their MVP last year on offense, not even close. One more thing, too. Actually, two more things. One, he wants to be here, clearly. He could have waited. You know, he could have waited for a better deal. This was not a great deal deal for Adrian Peterson. I mean, maybe he thought there was not going to be a better one out there, but if he had waited and there were injuries and people didn't get what they wanted wanted in free agency or the draft, it's very possible that he would have had a better deal waiting for him. But he wants to be here. I think that's the other thing that this says. He actually wants to be here. Not a lot of people want to be here. Adrian Peterson wants to be here. That's probably a good thing. I'll tell you who's happy. Jay Gruden is happy. He loves Adrian Peterson. Loved everything that Adrian Peterson brought to that team last year in terms of performance and leadership and setting an example. The hope is that Geis becomes the steal in the second round, you know, and that he emerges. And if he does, it doesn't cost the Redskins much with Peterson because, again, half of that deal basically is incentive-based. But, you know, the Redskins haven't been great at finding good running backs in the draft. They've missed on a bunch, and they have mistaking a bunch. You know, I personally wasn't the biggest Geis fan. There were three or four backs I liked more. Carrion Johnson, for those of you that were listening this time last year, you know I was a massive fan of Carrion Johnson. I wanted the Redskins to get him in the second round, and apparently they tried to. You know, remember, the Schefter report was that the Redskins were going to take we're going to take Carry uh, uh, On Johnson, but Detroit traded right in front of them and took Carry On Johnson. And then the Redskins traded back, and they got Geis. All right. Um, JP reported last night, uh, or certainly uh, implied via Twitter, um, based on sources that he has, that the Redskins are not done yet with respect to free agency and potentially potentially trades for the wide receiver position. I will read you his tweet from about, I don't know, midnight last night, something like that. I keep hearing Redskins want to upgrade at wide receiver. A source tells me that's not confined to free agency and the team could be looking at trades. Have heard big splash more than once. Uh, Multiple people sent me JP's tweet. Um, with guesses on the trading uh, part of this. You know, who's left? Who's available via trade in terms of wide receivers? That would really be splashy. Several of you suggested A.J. Green. That A.J. Green, depending on what Cincinnati's really trying to do, could be had. For what? I don't know. 
Um, I, you're not getting A.J. Green for a third. That's not going to happen. You're probably not getting A.J. Green for a mid-second, is my guess. Um, but it would be interesting to see A.J. Green and Jay Gruden reunited. Are there other receivers that are out there via trade? I don't think so. Like, I was going through the list. Is Devontae Adams available? Is, is you know, T.Y. Hilton's not available? Like, some of the guys that, you know, I mean, Hilton wouldn't be, clearly, because he's, he's on a good team. I, I'm looking for the teams that have a player that has an expiring contract a year from now, and they feel they could be in reboot mode a year from now. Maybe it's A.J. Green. Maybe you guys are right. I would not have thought of A.J. Green. So I appreciate all of you that tweeted that because that is interesting. I will tell you this. After my show on Tuesday, in which I said after the Landon Collins deal that Dan Snyder is now influencing decisions in a much more meaningful way this offseason compared to recent offseasons, has been confirmed to me by multiple people that would know. I got multiple texts, Aaron. I don't know if I mentioned this on the show yesterday. You didn't. With uh, yesterday's show with with a thumbs-up emoji on Snyder and his influence. We already know that they were in on Antonio Brown. We know that they've asked around about Josh Rosen. We know they tried to get C.J. Mosley. We know they gave Landon Collins the biggest deal a safety's ever gotten. None of that, none of that is Bruce Allen. It's just not his M.O., It is not his personality. Bruce is shopping from bargain bins late in free agency. And he's providing all of those great names that we've had over the years. Deshaun Goldson, Chris Culliver, Terrence Knighton, Pernell McPhee, Orlando Skandrick. And the list goes on and on and on. Subpar players signed to incredible contracts that Bruce and Eric would puff their chest out out and, and claim victory problem was none of those players were any good. Zach Brown was good, but didn't fit, clearly. DJ Swearinger was a good player, but obviously wasn't a great fit. Vernon Davis, good free agent signing. But for every Vernon Davis, we've, we've had three to four average to sub-average players signed to great deals. Players you can't even remember anymore. Mike McGlynn. Remember that big name? All right, next. Ha ha Clinton Dix. Redskins uh, reportedly interested in re-signing him, according to Ian Rappaport. That may come as a surprise to those of you who watched him play. I did too. Um, Wasn't very impressed. But I've been told the Redskins were impressed with the way he played, especially in the final few games. That's surprising to me. You know, he lacked excitement as a tackler. That was obvious. Wasn't very good in coverage much of the time. A player uh, who got beat more than he made plays in coverage and his enthusiasm for contact was missing. I think we could all say that about watching HaHa Clinton Dix play for this team over the final seven or eight weeks, whatever it was. You know, you could chalk that up to it takes time. It's a new system, and the Redskins are confident in their coaching staff to coach him up, and he's going to be a better player in 2019. And he would be, if he's playing well, if he plays, you know, to the level we've seen him play at times in Green Bay, he would be the perfect complement to Landon Collins. He's more of a free than a strong. He's more of a coverage guy than an in-the-box guy. If you consider they traded him for a fourth rounder 
before the trade deadline. And if you consider that they are always resistant and adamant about not admitting mistakes, then you're probably going to conclude that this one's going to happen because they want to save face. If they do re-sign him, that contract will be as important as the player. They cannot overpay HaHa Clinton Dix just to save face. They've got to pay him something that works for the team and the cap right now or let him walk. He's not that good. Green Bay and their fan base, they weren't upset to watch HaHa Clinton Dix get traded. No one was. And we saw seven or eight games or whatever it was of average at best. I'm hearing that they still love Monte Nicholson and his talent, but they're not entirely sure how much they can truly rely on him for lots of reasons, including his injury history. Zach Brown, gone. Their best defensive team speed guy is gone. This apparently was not working for them. He had trouble in coverage, we know that. He didn't have trouble running down a ball carrier that had you know, from a lateral position in particular. He was the most noticeable speed on their defense the last two years. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. I never understood if he was so bad in coverage why they would have him cover anybody. Let him rush the quarterback. And they did at times. And when they did, I thought he was effective. But it was much more than just the coverage issues. This was not a player that was getting it. It wasn't uh, apparently easy to teach or coach. This player, and he was not a favorite in the locker room. I remember hearing last year that they wanted to get rid of him, uh, but Bruce wanted to bring him back because they just didn't have any other options. And most importantly, you know, he, it turned out that they structured a deal which they could get out of a year later with a $6 million cap savings. So that was a good thing. Um, I'm still surprised that they didn't try him in more ways. They consistently had him in coverage when it was obvious he couldn't cover. They've got to add team speed defensively. Have to. More team speed. They just let their fastest guy go. So a quick account. Whoa! I thought Tommy was in Florida. Tommy's in... You didn't tell me you were here. Sit down. Put the headset on. I thought you were going to be calling in from Florida. You know, how soon they forget. What happened? Really? How soon they forget? Who are you? I I I I I was lucky. I was able to get on the elevator here. Are you supposed to be back today? Yes, I'm supposed to be back. Did you today. tell me you would be back yes, today? Yes, I told you <laughs> back today. But you really don't keep information as well as you oh used to. Oh my God! I'm I, telling I, you, you you are aging by the second, buddy. Um, I, you know what? I gotta, I, I gotta get, I have to sleep more. I gotta lose some weight. I have to eat more blueberries and spinach. Yes. Yes. I, I was supposed I, I got, to be I, back I, here. I didn't know that. I swear to God. And I couldn't get in. Oh All God. the doors were locked. <laughs> Which doors were locked? Oh, the doors to get in the kingdom here. <laughs> we have to keep them locked. There are a lot of people that want to get in. <laughs> we don't let anybody in. I seriously, I, when you told me you were going to be in Florida, with JFK this week, I just figured it was one for the show. week. Just one show. So that's Tuesday. all. You went down Tuesday. Yeah. Well, we Is went there... down Monday, came back yesterday. Okay. I'm sorry about that. Oh, that's okay. Well, you can join me now because I was certainly expecting you to call in, and I just finished going through you know the Redskins moves, the Adrian Peterson move, which I like. 
I actually like the move. Given their intention to try to compete and win next year, I'd prefer, as you know, the blow-up strategy. But they basically got him on one of those Bruce team-friendly deals. How could you not bring back Adrian Peterson if you had the chance? That's what I said. How, I mean, yeah. I mean, my God, their season last year, what, I mean, people would have lost their jobs at the end of last year if Adrian Peterson wasn't the running back. I just essentially said the same thing. Simply put, he was your best player. Yes. Other than the punter. Yes. That's why he's coming back. Yes. And you have a, a, a second year, a second dra- a second round draft pick from a year ago who's coming off not only a knee surgery, but a post-op infection from that knee and, surgery. And even if, he, even if that didn't happen, say for a brief preseason flash that we saw. We don't know. We don't know. I totally agree with you. Yeah, we I don't, don't know, know if he's an NFL running back. I'm not confident about Darius Geis. Many of you are, and of course the team is, but the team's never gotten it right no. at running back, except for when Doug Williams, behind everybody's back, <laughs> said, hey, Adrian, will you come in and really work out for us? Just work out for, for an hour. Don't tell anybody you're here. I mean, without Doug Williams doing that, they would not have been 7-9 and nine last there's, year. There's a good chance. Would not Jay, have been 7-9. There's and a nine. good chance Jake Gruden and other people lose their jobs. I didn't think about it from that perspective. All I said was they were they were pretty bad offensively. Imagine what they would have been without They're their, their offensive MVP. Three-win team, maybe. Yeah, I mean, they would have lost more games. Yeah. They would they they would have been 6 and 10 or 5 and 11 without them. I agree with that. And that game that so they lost gotta, to Tennessee was the game of the year by anybody anybody on that team. And you got to bring them back. I mean, again, Adrian Peterson was essential to whoever was playing quarterback for that team last year. And now you have a situation where even if you know, your dreams come true and you trade for Josh Rosen at some point or draft, uh, you know, a high-ranked quarterback out of college, even if all that happens, anyone who's playing quarterback for this team next year is going to desperately need Adrian Peterson. I think so. I also, you know, Adrian Peterson really was the one guy that looked like he did not want to miss the playoffs. Uh, they play, You know, at that game at Tennessee – that they had to win was really one of the best efforts by the by the team the entire year. But he put the team on his back yeah. in that game. I I've been told that they drafted Geist to start, but it, it, it's a it's a terrific insurance policy if Geist isn't really ready or Geist doesn't turn out to be what they hope he is. And if Geist is all of that, if he ends up being Kareem Hunt from a few years ago on the field. Uh, and you can't take him off the field. It doesn't really cost you that much. No, it's it's it, not a high risk. I th- I don't think so either. I I'm, so in the you know under the the umbrella of we're now sort of evaluating them based on how they best compete in 2019 rather than what is best for the franchise moving forward. This is a good move in my view. I agree. Uh, the did you hear me? You probably didn't. You were at the door. I this was a shock. That you're here. I'm glad you're here. It's so much better when you're here. That's not um, what I heard through the door. Oh, yes, That's it was. That's not what I heard you say through the yes, door. Yes, it was. It's, it's absolutely at, what you at, heard. At least we're glad that he wasn't here for the very beginning of the show. He would have lost his mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we talked about Game of Thrones. A lot of information coming out. You still haven't watched it, right? Aren't you now, more this, open uh, to it? Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Uh, it's, this is kind of besides the costumes question. Uh, 
This is a show that has dragons, right? Dragons, yes. Okay, then then let's stop. This is exactly. Then let's stop. This is a, it, it totally it, the same thing. Exactly what Scott says to me all the time. It's got dragons. I, I just in say it. to him. And I've said you know, it, I, I've I, said I, it I, to you before. I'm like, look, stop with the fantasy sci-fi. I don't like those kinds of shows. I don't like those kinds of movies. Just sit down, give it several hours to watch the first three or four, and then just. Call me up and say thank you. You know, I had this this, argument with my son. I promise you, would I ever steer you wrong? Oh, absolutely, you would. (laughs) You would. You you tried to lock me out of here today. What are you talking about? Does your son like it? Oh, my my oldest son raves about it, and he's he he. We argue about TV a lot, and I said that. I said it's got it's got dragons, right? (laughs) And he says, "Well, you like Godzilla." I said. Yeah, but I don't think it's on the waterfront. (laughs) I don't think it's great. I recognize it for what it is. I don't think it's good. <laughs> Did you like E.T.? Did phone you like home. King Kong? E.T., phone home. Um, on the waterfront. God, I mean, he's got to give us a 1955 reference. Is that the right year? Or was that Marty? Oh, you Fi- know. I think it's 54, I think. Okay. Yeah. I that that was on the waterfront versus Marty. Got it. So You know how I know that reference. Oh, yeah, from uh, Quiz Show. From yep. Quiz Show. A very good movie. John Turturro was great in that yeah. movie. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, here's the last part on the Redskins. I mean, you just weighed in on Adrian Peterson, so you 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 feel the same way that Absolutely. I do. Um, we've already gotten your thoughts on Case Keenum and Landon Collins, right? Yeah. Although you know, on Landon Collins, the more I'm thinking about it, uh, how much did they upgrade from the position last year? From DJ Swearinger, yeah. a lot. Not a lot. Yeah, a lot. Not a I, lot. You go through every ranking of safeties through last year, and DJ Swearinger was in the top five to ten, and Landon Collins was maybe third. DJ Swearinger had a good season. He did. Landon Collins is a better player. Is a be- But how much of a better player? A lot. I don't think they upgraded oh. that much considering the the uh, the hoopla over it. And here's the other thing. I mean, look, I, I don't know who they could have brought in to do this, whether it was Landon Collins or, or anyone else, but how much ground did they make up on the Cowboys and the Oh, Eagles? no, no, no. In fact, it's okay. a perfect segue into what I, wanted, what I was about to go into before okay. you walked in. You know, if we take an accounting of the offseason to date, in Case Keenum, Landon Collins, Adrian Peterson, out Zach Brown, Stacey McGee, Ty Insecki, Alex Smith, I yeah. mean, is is out for yes. 2019. I think we can safely say that. They still have the following needs. Quarterback, wide receiver, guard, pass rusher, another safety. Could be HaHa Clinton Dix. Uh, another corner. A tight end, potentially. Um, what's next? Well, we all think that the quarterback is coming in some form, whether it's a trade for Rosen be, or it's to, in the draft early. You know, like I've been saying, you know, people have come to – to live with the Case Keenum trade because it's a no-risk deal uh, and it didn't cost them a lot of money. But there's an underlying angst among Redskins fans that are waiting for the other shoe to drop. And if there's no follow-up to it, the anger about Case Keenum will resurface again. In other words, if there is not a corresponding futuristic move at quarterback for this team, uh then, then people are not going to be happy. I am expecting another quarterback move. I have been told that there more likely than not will be an attempt 
for another quarterback move. I've also been told that Jay Gruden likes himself some Case Keenum. Really? Yes. Um, he thinks he's very competitive and think the, thinks the battle with Colt will be a really healthy and a good one for the team and that they can do something. He thinks they can do something with Colt, but he was not opposed and, in, and, and in fact spent much of his time over the last couple of weeks heading into the Indy Combine not looking at rookie quarterbacks as much as he was looking at free agent quarterbacks, and he apparently was on board with Keenum. I'll, I'll also just tell you real quickly, just because I had one of those conversations um, yesterday for a while, um, uh, that you know I can't reveal who it was with, but they don't like Haskins. I've learned that they're not Jay in particular is not a big fan of, uh, of Haskins. So we'll see how that plays out in the draft. They probably won't have a chance for Haskins unless Haskins drops, which. I think he might. Cooley did a film breakdown. He doesn't like Haskins either, but most people you hear say they love Haskins. So Haskins will probably go before, perhaps, but the Redskins are not a fan well, of his. They are a fan of Kyler Murray. Two things though. about that. Let's not forget that yep. one of Dwayne Haskins' friends is Dan Snyder's son. Yes. And the second thing is, remember Jay Gruden at his postseason press conference last year claiming that we all have to get on the same page here when it comes to coaching and personnel. That was that was what he said at the end of last year. I know. And and so Jay Gruden's input may not be taken very seriously at times or uh, may be ignored. Well, I think that was definitely the case before and we don't know if it'll be the case right. this year or not. I think um, that's what he was saying. Yeah, I mean the I just I think that you can put to the side for a moment the fear that Jay Gruden just wants to start Colt and didn't want Case Keenum here, I've heard differently that he is actually uh, a fan of Keenum and had uh, had put in, you know, his in, his input was was taken with respect to Keenum, and his input was this guy's this guy can play. So he decided he, he's to, a good fit for what I like to do. He decided to leave the party with the with not just one. But the two last girls in the room. <laughs> exactly. Um, he's got two of them. Uh, but it's late, you know, and you're desperate. Um, they, uh, they, but, but anyway, just wrapping this up, taking an account of the offseason, they got a long way to go before you're going to see their over-under win total for 2019 move off of the six or six-and-a-half mark. Yeah. Now, the Giants might be, you know, fast-becoming – uh, uh, a pick to finish last in the division, which we didn't see before a few weeks ago. But the Redskins aren't appreciably better as of now. That could change with the draft and with more moves. But right now, they are still, at best, the third best team in the division Absolutely. on paper. And no more than a six and a half, seven over-under total type of team. And it does not seem that they've gained any ground on the teams in front of them. I would agree with that. Uh, Scott's ready to go. Let me do a quick read here for Scentbird, and then we'll bring Scott Van Pelt into the conversation. Scentbird is a luxury fragrance subscription service. It's a way to discover new colognes or perfumes without having to buy an entire bottle. This is important because good colognes and perfumes can be expensive, and many of you aren't sure exactly what you want. Some of you have perhaps just been wearing the gift that someone gave to you several years ago, and you haven't changed since because you don't know any better. Well, Scentbird makes it easy for you to find the right cologne 
for you or the right perfume for your significant other. They've got 450 designer brands for you to choose from each month. Gucci, Tom Ford, Kenneth Cole, Burberry, Prada, and more. You choose the cologne you want to try and they'll send you a 30-day supply. I tried it. My wife tried it. It makes sense and it's easy. Not sure what type of scent you're looking for? Well, they make it easy for you. They've got a ton of ratings and reviews, so you can read those. And they even have a quiz you can take to discover what would work for you in a more personalized recommendation format. Here's the offer right now for my listeners only. Get 50% off your first month today. That's $7.50 for your first fragrance. Try saying that fast three times. Your first fragrance. Go to scentbird.com slash KSDC. Use my code KSDC for 50% off your first month. That's scentbird, S-C-E-N-T, bird.com slash KSDC for you to try your first cologne or perfume for just $7.50. Sign on. Smell amazing. You know, that sounds like something I could certainly use. And and look at uh, listeners out there, if you're honest with yourself, I'm betting most of you could use this too. <laughs> I, I actually did try it, and it's so easy. And I'm not a big cologne wearer. You are. Yes. And so I'm more interested in, in I'm trying I'm very it. interested yeah. in this. So go to scentbird.com slash KSDC. All right, let's bring in Scott Van Pelt for his weekly visit. I do want to talk about Maryland and what I think is an important few weeks for the program, and I'm going to explain that to you when we get to it, but I wanted to start with just NFL free agency and the Odell Beckham Jr. trade and your reaction to just what I think the Monday and Tuesday, the legal tampering period or whatever they call it, I thought it was as much of a of a true, like frenzied, crazy NFL start to free agency we've ever seen. Especially with the trade yeah, over the last week, too. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you and I, I think, both really enjoy this this sort of. I mean, however long it takes, whatever the window of time is, in terms of being a talent acquisition period and a change your franchise potentially period, and it, and it was the the kind of the most um, activity involving just big name people. Um, whether it's Le'Veon Bell or whether it's Antonio Brown. And then Odell Beckham Jr. obviously is a, a bombshell of sorts. And, it, and in particularly as, as a Redskin town, it's going to have an impact because it, it's one of your division rivals. So I, I, was, um, I was really interested in all of it. Just the, the landing spot for Beckham being Cleveland takes them from being the punchline of hard knocks last summer to being the team everyone's talking about in the AFC North and, and suddenly is Vegas' biggest exposure for Super Bowl futures, which is incredible. But, I mean, you look at the skill position guys they've got. They brought in Kareem Hunt, of course, after he was cut by Kansas City to, to go in that backfield along with Nick Chubb, and they've got Baker Mayfield, who plays with a chip on his shoulder. And, and yeah, they're, they're really interesting. That's a really interesting team. Um, I mean, you got to. I, I could go in eight million directions. So I mean, if you if well, I mean, I, I mean, hell, before the OBJ trade, they had two incredible edge pass rushers on the same team in Miles Garrett and Olivier Vernon. And I, I, I said yesterday on the podcast that we probably should have seen the giant 
you know, big changes coming because I was shocked that they traded Vernon and I was very surprised that they didn't franchise Landon Collins. And he's a different player because he's 25. Uh, not different from OBJ, but different from, from Vernon. But Cleveland defensively was really good last year and now you've added another, you know, have to game plan for edge rusher in Vernon. They're, 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 they're not as good as you're making them out to be. They were 30th in the league last year in yards per game. 30th. Yeah, I, they, 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 I, I watched them at the end of the year, and they were a good defensive team, coached by a very I, good look, defensive coordinator. We agree, and he goes to the Jets now, which will make the Jets better. And then how does that? How does his absence impact Cleveland? We, we agree that, that I, I'm just telling you, they're not. Their numbers weren't like wow, look at them. But they're they're. I think they're a good team. Um, that they're interesting. The Giants are interesting because everyone's freaking out that, oh, it's the end of the world. And, you know, you look at the last two years and you ask yourself, well, why would you pay all that money to Beckham? Why would you not take a quarterback second? Why would you be tied to this much money to a 38-year-old quarterback who is in decline? And I don't know the answer to any of those questions. Gettleman does. Um, but but it, it, it's it's got New York pretty fired up. Um, you know, I think that Baltimore had the best defense in the NFL last year. They lose a guy at every level. You know, they lose Suggs at the end of his career. They lose Mosley, who I was hoping the Redskins would get. They let Weddle go, but then they they pay Thomas all that money. I mean, it was there are just lots and lots and lots of players whose names you know that are that are changing uh, changing uniforms, and that you know that that makes for interesting fodder for people like us that, that need content. Yeah, I one quick thing because I was looking it up because I was surprised when you said that um, Cleveland in def- defensive efficiency was actually twentieth, but they were you know they were eighth in turnovers and seventh on third down. They they were a better defense than the thirtieth ranked defense on, in yards allowed, and they definitely were better at the end of the year. And that and Miles Garrett was turning into what they thought he would be as the first player in the draft. The Giants thing is very interesting because personally, Tommy, and you haven't weighed in on this, I just didn't think that the Giants got fleeced in the deal. I thought getting Peppers a first and a third wasn't terrible. It's certainly a hell of a lot better than what the Steelers did. Big difference. AB's 30 and and OBJ's 26. And, and the Steelers were, you know, everybody knew they had to trade um, Antonio Brown. So there wasn't a lot of leverage there. I don't think they should have traded him. I think they should have ate the two, eaten the two and a half million bucks and 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 dealt with him and somebody else when they got when they got a real offer. But I think the Giants did okay. What was your reaction to everyone else's reaction that the Giants got fleeced in the deal? Well, I mean, it was the fact that I guess it was a second, third, not the not the Brown, not the Browns' first, third. Um, I, I I guess they thought they were supposed to get like two firsts for Odell Beckham Jr. That's not. That's not the way the work the, the NFL works for that position. It just isn't. Um, I'm, I they got. I, I think I think it would have been the first. The first third would have just op, You know, would would have looked better. Um, but they got they got more back than, than uh, Pittsburgh got for Brown by a lot. I mean, Pittsburgh they got like a they traded Martavis Bryant last year for a third to Oakland. Uh, the difference between him and, and Antonio Brown's a fifth because that's what they got back. <laughs> right. Like that, those are two different. Those are two different things. Like what Pittsburgh got for Brown for me was pretty stunning, given what his impact is. Uh, what what the Giants got back from Beckham, like people act like they know what 
someone's market is, you know? Look at Le'Veon Bell. He thought he was going to get, like, this incredible deal. At the end of the day, he took less money than Pittsburgh offered last year. So people, it's real easy to say they should have done this. Nobody knows what the offers were. We're, I mean, they, we are almost they, always... You took the worst offer? We're, of course not. That's, that's a great point. Of course he didn't take the worst offer. Um, it, it, unless right. the best offer was from Dallas or Washington or the Giants I mean, or the Eagles. Maybe he didn't want to trade exactly. him within the division. But uh, it's really amazing to me, and I mentioned this early in the week, and maybe it was with you, Tommy, on the air, that or last week. We're always off on compensation and trades and contract value. We are very rarely, and I, when I say we, fans and even the so-called experts never seem to be even close. Oh, you know, I don't understand since we're so inside the workings of these NFL teams. I don't see how we could be so wrong. We've got all this information. We're all geniuses at our keyboards. It comes down to leverage. So really. I just I just can't figure out why we're so wrong. <laughs> why Twitter's wrong? Yeah. You know, it's interesting exactly. about the, the player movement. Uh, what's an interesting phenomenon, this is out of the NBA playbook, uh, player movement in the offseason exciting your fan base. I mean, that's part of what the NBA lifeblood is now, is is projecting who's going to play for who and, and getting excited about that, uh, which is kind of interesting is now you have fans that love players moving around where for years fans professed they wanted loyalty from players. They wanted stability. They liked it when players played for the same team the, the whole their whole career. Now what fuels all the excitement is players leaving and going someplace else. Yeah. yeah. That's so true, Tommy. It, it is and, true. And it, it, goes back, it goes back to a central, uh, central point about player empowerment. And Rosillo... Uh, had a really interesting tweet a couple of days ago but where he asked a, kind of a rhetorical, like, are we at the point now as fans where no matter what players do to, to wedge their way out of a situation, fans are going to have their back? In other words, what Antonio Brown did in Pittsburgh, now it, it turns into, well, Ben Roethlisberger must be a bad guy. Look, people want to get out of Pittsburgh, yada, yada. Antonio Brown quit on his team with a game to go a game they needed to win to go to the playoffs. Now, as it turned out, they needed help and they didn't get there. But he he withheld his services in a game of that magnitude and wanted to leave Pittsburgh. And and it and it seemed like largely people have the players back. Like as with Antonio Davis in the NBA with New Orleans. Oh well, New Orleans is front office sucks in this net. He has a year and a half left on his deal and decides he doesn't want to play there anymore. And it puts the Pelicans in an impossible situation. Yeah. And, and and fans seem to largely have the players back. Like, I'm more player than I am owner. But at what point do fans say, hey, buddy, you got a deal. You need to honor the deal. It, it, it seems like I, you can do anything you want to leave and force your way out now, and no one's going to say boo about it, which seems strange to me. Well, uh, it, it always part of it comes down to, Nobody's buying an owner's jersey. Players, I mean, fans yeah. buy players' jerseys, and that's that's who they're going to be angry with the most, and that's who they're going to side with the most, I think, except for the fans who, who are getting robbed, in, in this case, Steeler fans, you know. But for the rest of the NFL, I mean, particularly, look, nobody wants to side with management any place. Nobody wants to be the management guy. 
You know, of on, course not. On, on, of on, course not. But 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 at some point, at some point, it's like especially in Antonio Davis's case, you had the remainder of this year and all of next year, and and like, nah, I, I can't. You're paying me twenty five million and then twenty seven million, but I, I really would rather be elsewhere. So <laughs> kind of be, do what I want. No, man, no, that isn't that that isn't how it works. Like you shouldn't have signed the deal. You you, you entered into this agreement willingly. So that's where I that's where I tap out on being pro player. I'm just I'm pro fan at that point. I'm pro Pelican fan. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm pro uh, you know practical. And you know the 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 Steelers situation hurts the Steelers incredibly. It's painful. But on some level, they're responsible for it. They didn't have to trade him unless it was Ben in there saying, if he comes back into this locker room, I'm retiring or whatever it could have been. We don't know the mm-hmm. whole story. But the Steelers taking a $21 million accelerated cap hit for a third and a fifth, I'm sure the rest of the league isn't happy about that. Now, I don't believe it'll be a precedent setter because you have to have – you have to be an elite player like Brown in a terrible situation like Brown was for him anyway. And he's, you know, he may be straight crazy anyway, just like OBJ. But the Steelers really didn't have to do that. I, I, I don't, I still can't figure out why they did. They we're missing some of the story because they could have paid two and a half million bucks to wait for a much better deal or, worst case, just avoid a $21 million salary cap hit. Both of those things are better than a third and a fifth. So as th- there's got to be – There's more to that, to the story. The Antonio Davis thing, too, the, the one thing I love, I love that it basically wrecked the Lakers for the season. I, I, I actually love the result of, of how that turned out, and I'm totally in agreement with you on Antonio Davis. I wanted to mention one, one other quick thing, and that is the compensation – for uh, OBJ, the the Antonio Brown's an an outlier, but it does go to show you that the Khalil Mack deal was two firsts, and there was a lot of other exchanging of picks along the way, two firsts and a third, and I think the Bears got back a second or whatever. But the value on an elite pass rusher is – an elite pass rusher is just more valuable than a wide receiver, a great wide receiver, which isn't a, a revelation, but I think it almost proves out one year later with what the Giants got. And again, you have to assume it was the best offer for one of the great talents in the game. And Mac was much more expensive to acquire. Yeah, yeah, he was. There are. Go ahead, Tommy. No, I'm done. Uh, there, there, I would, I was just say there were there are more players that are similar in terms of production to the Odell Beckham Juniors and Antonio Browns of the world. Like, we could continue to go with Julio Jones and um, Hopkins, Duke Hopkins, and, yeah. and we could go to, I could go down a list of, of, of receivers. There, there aren't that many Khalil Macks. No, that's, there there that, is a smaller true. number. That's true. That's and true and that's, why, that's why they're more coveted. And also, as we well know, I mean, if, if those guys get to the quarterback, they can't throw the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. and Antonio <laughs> Brown. So, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's been a... It's been a wild uh, couple of days, and it's been interesting to see see how active so many teams are, and then see the one team like the, the juxtaposition of the Patriots allowing two teams to to pay way more money than they were willing to pay to Trey Flowers and Brown, 
and here's a picture of Phil Belichick diving off a boat in like Barbados. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it, it's like yeah. you, can, you guys do what you want, man. Have yeah. fun. Yeah, we'll, big yada. we'll be I'm, there. I'm going to be over here in my board shorts at the yeah. beach. See you in late January in a game to get to the Super Bowl. <laughs> Um, exactly. You know, one of the big uh, signings in free agency uh, was broken right on your show the other night. That was exciting to watch. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was uh, that was an interesting moment there. I guess Adam felt like he needed to tweet it before he needed to say it. Which uh, uh, we're on TV, you could break it right here. But he was he was tweeting, sitting uh, right there with with, with Scott, you. sitting on the side. I know. And and Scott's yeah, just talking because Adam's in his phone tweeting away. <laughs> he's yeah, got all he's got was... the Le'Veon Bell the details and it's done and he's breaking news, but he could break it right there with Scott on ESPN <laughs> television. But he broke mm-hmm. it on Twitter first. I guess yeah, it doesn't that's, count. That's... It doesn't count unless it's on Twitter. Uh, I guess that's the currency of that particular uh, that particular job. You know, if you're if you're one of those guys, and I get it. You know, Adrian Wojnarowski is the same uh, same way in terms of being. You want to be first there, but I don't know. I would I would think if you were first on TV, you get credit. But I, mean, I, I don't know how that works. I'm well, not in that space. I was I was just told I was told to vamp by uh, Adam. So I was told to, <laughs> oh, that's what he said. So he was pre- he was producing he the vamp. show at that. I point. I said that's what I've been doing for the last minute. Um, but anyway. Uh, the news, there it was. It was right there. I, I would hope. And Twitter. I would hope that you had a discussion with him and let him know who you are. <laughs> didn't we have, I, uh, didn't we have Adam? No, I, I haven't had, I haven't had that. I haven't had that talk, Tommy. <laughs> didn't we have Adam on a show a few years ago where he said, guys, you're going to have to wait a minute. Oh yeah. He, and, he did that. To, wait a minute. Yeah. yeah. And it was yeah. live radio. And he said, you have to wait a minute. And then you, you heard him. He's like, I, I'll, I'll be right there. And then he, t- well, I can't remember what it was. And it wasn't a big deal. But immediately I went on Twitter and I said, oh, so this yeah. is what you were just working <laughs> yeah. on. Listen, um, I'd hate to have a heart well, attack. Well, the Le'Veon Bell I... news was, it was a big, it was a yes, big Yes, it was. Yes, it I, was. And I understood it. Um, and I, I guess now I know the order. Um, I guess now I know the order. The order is, uh, we'll get to you on your on your little TV show here after I tweet. And now, now that... That's been established. You know, I'd hate to have a heart attack with Adam Schefter in the room. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Especially during yeah, NFL free yeah. agency. Um, right. All right. right. I wanna... Hold on. We got a, we got a tight end. We got a tight end who's <laughs> We'll get you that DPR just a second, Tom. You'll be all right. Take a deep breath. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's tweeting before calling nine one one. All right. Yeah. I wanted to talk about Maryland because I had this thought yesterday, uh, and I wanted to save it for you. We've talked a lot about you know Turgeon and what you know we think Maryland basketball should be, et cetera, et cetera. But I want to focus on what I think actually right now is an important few weeks for Maryland basketball. And I'm not even going to say for Mark Turgeon, but for the basketball program from this standpoint. You and I both know that um, you know it's not what it used to be. I don't, did you read Barry's Verluga's column yesterday on Maryland uh, basketball? Yesterday, I didn't see. I, okay, no, you, I didn't go see go yesterday. go read it. it. It's on you know what Maryland basketball used to be, what it is now, what you know. It, it's a lot of the conversations we've had, but it, it, he he wrote it well. But anyway, the thought that I had was that you know if he doesn't win a couple games 
this weekend, but definitely a couple of weekends, a couple of games starting next weekend. And the season ends in sort of a thud, a disappointing thud, like it did a few years ago when they lost to Xavier after losing to Northwestern in the first round of the or the quarterfinals of the Big Ten tournament. Um, there's no juice for the program going into next year versus if you get, let's just say you make a, a big run here and you have an exciting weekend. This is a big weekend. It's championship weekend. It doesn't mean anything compared to next weekend. But still, if Maryland's playing in the Big Ten final, that would be a big deal. And then if they are in the Sweet 16 because they have two you know, exciting wins in that first weekend of the tournament, um, immediately the outlook for next year, even without Bruno Fernando, is they're going to come back ranked preseason without a doubt. If they're a Sweet 16 team this year, they will come back even without Bruno, as long as Sticks comes back, as a preseason top 20 team next year. That provides a lot of juice for the program. The fact that they got to the Sweet 16 and we had that you know, two, three, four extra games starting this weekend and, and good wins and, and some potential memorable wins. But if it goes out in a thud, the I, it's, it's really it's disappointing, but it's more than that. It'll hurt the business of Maryland basketball going into next year versus the opportunity that exists to have a lot of, mo- a lot of momentum going forward. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm, I I won't disagree with the idea that if they have a, a couple of good weeks is 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 important, but win or lose, they're going to come back with a bunch of guys that were very very young this year that played meaningful minutes. And look, we we all presume Bruno will go to the league. I, we all hope he goes first round. He's worked his ass off and he's become a much better player this year. First team All Big Ten. You kiss him on both cheeks and say, "Go get that money." But if the rest of the guys are coming back, then there's no reason he couldn't be ranked next year. I understand what you're saying. It, it, it has more to do with the fact that since the title in 2002, there's been two Sweet 16 appearances. One of them was the year after the title. So, okay, one Sweet 16 since 2003. It's a long time for a brand that we in our heads as fans see as better than it maybe is viewed nationally to, to get a little bit of shine, to get a little bit of attention over the course of these next couple of weeks and to, you know, who knows what the offseason will bring. I'm sure they'll be in the market for a 50-year kid. Who knows who that could be? Uh, maybe they're not done recruiting in 19. So, yeah, uh, it's important. But I would I would argue that if they lost, and even if the first, say they're a five and they lose to a 12, I mean, that would suck and everybody would be bad. But it wouldn't mean that if the core group came back that they wouldn't still have an opportunity to be good next year. I know that, but there's not going to be any any excitement for it. You know, when you finish strong, right. like that all when, – when, when the tournament ends, the all-too-early top 25 preseason, a lot, of that, a lot of that is off of what you just saw. And if they go out in the first round or before the end of the first weekend, now if they're a five seed and they lose to, you know, a really good four seed in a compelling game, so be it. But there's an I guess mm-hmm. I should have I, 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 I should have phrased it as there's a huge opportunity here for the basketball program, and they're good enough to take advantage of it. And if they don't, it's 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 going to hurt a little bit. We agree, and here's and here's another thing that they need to do, and this is a different piece of the conversation. But I believe you and I agree. If if you create a bit of that uh, of, of excitement, what they what they need to do is they need to schedule more aggressively. 
They need to they need to be back in like tournaments like Maui. Yes. They need to be in a tournament like Atlantis. They need to be bringing in somebody that's an out of conference. Uh, you know, Gary used to bring in when Stanford was really good, when Kansas was really good. They played a couple of games in D.C. as I remember there. Uh, you know, get it, get home and homes with people like that. Be willing to take that on. Uh, I mean, they did it with Seton Hall. Okay, that's that's not a bad out of conference game. As it turned out, they lost this year in the one at home. Um, but you know, just if you get if you get that buzz, capitalize on it by giving fans something to be excited about beyond just the team and, and, and you know maybe you're going to say well it's because the schedule the league schedule so long and so difficult and you're never really not penalized for losses if you if they're against good teams so that that would help too i hope they do that um they um they what was i going to say oh two things one i uh the, the most juice we've had in recent years for a season was off of that first tournament season you know his first tournament season they lost to west virginia mellow got hurt in that game in the second half in Columbus. They lost to West Virginia. They got beat up a little bit. They came back the following year, if you recall, with Diamond Stone and with uh, with um, Robert uh, Carter Jr. and Suleiman, and Suleiman. they were ranked. They were preseason ranked number two in the country. They had that game against Georgetown, which probably in the Turgeon era is the most heated environment, the most electric environment I, we've seen in that in that uh, arena. Um, felt more like you know a big game against Duke or Carolina from from the olden times. And I just think if they have a run here, and I'm not talking about to the Final Four, but if we've got three, got if we've got three more weeks of Maryland basketball at least this week, next week, and a following week, you're going to come back as the preseason number 15, 16 team in the country without Bruno. Um, maybe even better than that, and there will be a ton of juice. And without it, it's it's just not going to happen. By the way, the other thing you said, and I I think we've had this argument before, but I get, I hate. When people talk about, well, you know, Gary, the program wasn't very good with Gary when he left. You know, they'd only been to one Sweet Sixteen. I didn't say that. Okay, but some we, people, you and I both know, you some and I people both believe know that, that they were better than that. Yeah, I mean, they. I, won. I know. I'm not saying. Look, we know that they were better, but but listen, that like that that Gravis team was awesome, and we had a great year, and they tied for the ACC's regular season, but they lost in a buzzer beater to Michigan State, and it still hurts me to this day. But they didn't make it beyond that weekend. I, so you and I both know that they had a more meaningful, more buzz. We were in the ACC still. You know, I'm not saying the program. Okay, was but before, let me but, let me just say for those that do say that that are listening, because I don't know how many if I've said this very often in the past. But the the run when people say it was not going very well with Gary either uh, since the championship team, or they haven't had a sweet six hadn't had a sweet sixteen since two thousand three. He won an ACC championship, an ACC tournament. He won an ACC regular season championship. He was in the tournament four or five times, and they had three second round losses by a total of five points. That's a much different run. Than the run since Mark's been here, I, I it's they're Agreed. not they're not comparable uh, uh, d- despite the lack of Sweet Sixteens. I, I understand that. Okay, and there was more juice, and that had to do with the ACC. So the, the and and, and good and that, really good teams and good teams, a couple they're of good teams, also, and, also true. and a very good player in Gravis Vasquez, who was a big Without part a of doubt. that. Yeah, so, all, all, I, but, but I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you that like getting to that next weekend became a birthright. And in many ways, the Sweet 16 became this something of an albatross for Gary because people are, are fans in their, in their uh, perpetual wisdom uh, convinced themselves he couldn't, oh, he'll never get beyond that. Or he'll go to back-to-back Final Fours and win a title. 
Um, so, I mean, I just, I think that what you said, and, and I'm anxious to go read what Barry wrote, um, it, they could use some juice. We agree. We agree. All that, all that we agree on. And we agree on the past, too. So I think we agree more than we disagree. I, I, I still think that most people, uh, you know, hold the Gary Williams success, you know, over the Mark Turgeon era. And I know you mentioned they don't have to get to a Final Four, but if they got to a Final Four, that would be the start of the Mark Turgeon era. <laughs> well, Gary, the Gary era, I, Scott, Scott sort of alluded to it, the Gary era before the Final Four trip in 2001 to Minneapolis was a an era of should have been to two Final Fours oh, already, and he didn't get us there. I it know. was. I mean, there were Sweet 16 losses that no one thought we should lose to St. John's. But, we we, sh- we weren't supposed to lose to UConn. No, I know. I remember the Steve Francis team. The that Francis team lost to St. John's. Yeah. But again, the Final Four changes everything, and it would change the whole kind. Con- I mean, you're talking about directing conversation a little bit one direction. I'm saying it would be a dramatic change. Oh, I agree. No, if, I, if he were to make a Final Four yeah. run this year, then yeah. you're talking about people were talking about the Mark Turgeon era. And here's the thing, and uh, Scott, I'll let you finish up on this. But Mark Turgeon's not a bad basketball coach. I mean, our fan base gets carried away, and most of them have no idea what they're talking about. He, no one wins as many games as he wins being a bad college basketball coach because it's not like he's bringing in four one and duns a year um but but you know the, the bottom line is the results i think most people that root for this program and follow the program most of us think that they should be better i think i think it's reasonable to expect the things that uh, over the times that you and i have talked about this and, and with tommy as well obviously here on the, on the podcast is is we've established what, what those parameters are You'd like to be ranked. You'd like to think you could make a tournament. You'd like to think a second weekend's not beyond your your, your uh, capabilities with the occasional team that could make a run. Now, that, that last thing is a caveat because Gary Williams had a Steve Francis team that could have made a run. They got beat by St. John's in a game that that one still is a bummer. You know, the, the, it's hard to win three games in a row. It really is. Um, and winning two in a row, as as Maryland fans are now reminded, is, is certainly uh, – it's more fun than you remember it, but it, it it is also the cratering that people pretend that Maryland has done here under Mark Turgeon is completely totally false. Yeah, I agree with that. That has it is that has not happened. They haven't been some uh, some. It's not been an embarrassment. They haven't gotten there. You know, they, they've lost some games. Sure, um, you'd like to win more. Okay, let's start with Nebraska today at three o'clock, and then take it from there. What Maryland basketball can be, and I think this is you know a repetition thing here because I think we talked about it last week or the week before. Every five years, they should be in the tournament. Four of those five, they should they should be in two Sweet Sixteens, and one out of every five years, they should have a legitimate chance to go to the Final Four. That's not a, that's not a, you know that that's less delusional than some in the fan base that think it should be a Final Four team every year. But I think four out of five years being in the tournament. Within three of those years being pretty good, like two Sweet Sixteens, and maybe one year being really, really good, is not delusional. No, but you, you just you know a lot a lot has a lot has to happen uh, for, for for that level of consistency, and um, maybe they're maybe they're finally building towards it. With you know, you hope that the, that they have a, a, a decent amount that comes back from this year because they are young. Um, but I don't know, man. Like I, I just, 
I think pe- people convince themselves that it's been so much worse than than it than it really is. And I keep going back to like like look at a Wake or a St. John's or a Oklahoma State or somebody that's in a similar spot to national perception that's had decent runs that just falls into a chasm. And people act like, oh, this has been an embarrassment. No, it isn't. It's just not as good as you wish it were. And that's fine. You can want it to be what you just described, Kevin. Um, but but you just you can't lie to yourself about what it what it is and act like it's been some some absolute wasteland. Uh, how are they going to do this weekend? And I just want to play Wisconsin because I think Maryland's better than they are. And uh, I just want to get to that game and take it, and you know, then 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 the weekend's the weekend. What, just, what's the number? To to the what's the number today? I have uh, Aaron. Is it? Sp- I have no idea. I went to look. I went to look for it last night before I went to bed, and it, and it wasn't up. So I have no idea. Uh, did you five say five and a half? Five and a half. Okay, I thought it might be six. Oh, seven. it actually. I it looks like it just moved to six. It was five and a half okay. earlier, and I'm seeing six now. All right, good. There we go. That, I didn't want it to be four. That would make me go, uh, right. Nebraska's really banged up. They've got like five scholarship guys at the moment. So, I mean, you know, one of them's Palmer who can score. God, Maryland kid, can, by the way. He can really uh, score. Yeah, yeah. He played at McNamara. Well, all don't right. lose. Don't lose it. Otherwise, otherwise all, of this, all the people out there that are upset, you know, they're going to have a lot of justification for that. Right, because at this time of year, it's very possible that you only have two games left. And that's what's and, – and the, the last time they were in this position, two years ago, that's the way it went. So I just hope for him and the program it doesn't go that way again. Um, I'll talk to you later. Thanks. All right, boys. You guys have a great weekend. All right, Scott. Appreciate it. Um, quick word about – Window Nation. Uh, Window Nation right now has a really good deal going. And I'm going to start with this. If you think you need new windows, just give Window Nation a shot. I've given them a shot twice over the last 10 years, and it worked for me. It's a free in-home estimate. If you call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com, there's no risk. So if you've been thinking about new windows and you're paying very high energy bills this winter, which could be reduced significantly with new windows, Call Window Nation up at 866-90-NATION. Have them come out to your home and give you a free in-home estimate. You have 60 days to actually use that estimate. They give you two months to figure it out as to whether or not you want to move forward with their estimate. But there's no risk to calling them and having them come out. They do so with professional salespeople. They'll go room by room. They'll tell you if you don't need windows. And in rooms where you need them, they'll say, this is exactly what you need here. And then you've got an estimate, and you can act on that, and you've got 60 days to make the decision. Right now, they've got a really good offer. Two windows for every two, two windows free for every two you buy. Buy four, get four free. Buy eight, get eight free. There's no minimum on that. You'll make no down payment, no payments, and no interest for 12 months. You'll keep their expert installers and their factory busy, which right now, this time of the year, it isn't, which is why this great deal exists. Uh, so call now, 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. You're really wasting money on higher energy bills by not calling. Get two free for every two you buy. Buy four, get four free, no limit, nothing down, no payments, no interest for 12 months. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com and tell them that I sent you. And before we get to the uh, next topic, just want to mention too to everybody out there, because uh, usually I wait until the very end of the podcast to do this, and I just want to make sure that more of you um, are tuned in for this. If you haven't subscribed to the to the podcast, 
subscribe. Um, if you're on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, they give you the chance to subscribe. It just helps us. It doesn't cost you a thing. And if you haven't reviewed or rated the podcast, do that as well. That helps uh, also. All right. I've got a few things for you, and I, I bet you've got a few things for me as well. But I, I wanted to start with this college scandal story. You, you did follow this, right? Yeah. You know, I forced myself to uh, get interested in it. Why did you force yourself? Why did you feel compelled to force well, yourself? I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, I guess the Hollywood connection didn't really excite me. It's not just Hollywood. It's just it's people of significant means, right? So the I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna. You read. know what the big college uh, scandal is in Canada right now? That tuitions have gone as high as six thousand dollars a year. <laughs> wow! In in Canadian universities, that's that's a pretty good deal. Yes, that's pretty the big good deal. scandal. The college right. uh, scandal in Go Canada. Go ahead, vote for Bernie Sanders if you want to. <laughs> um, so basically, the, the story, and I think many of you have probably heard the story by now, but dozens of parents, including some high profile actors in Hollywood, Lori Laughlin, is it Laughlin or Laughlin? She played Aunt Becky on Full House. Laughlin. I've never. I never watched Full House. I neither die. All right, so no, I, I grew up on it. And then Felicity Huffman, who was one of the Desperate Housewives, and I didn't watch that show either, Tommy. I don't know if you did. No, I, didn't I didn't watch that I show. I didn't either. watch that. I haven't watched network TV uh, shows in years. You know what I think it was? I think a lot of these shows that I missed, and I think this is the case for a lot of people out there. When your kids are young, and I'm talking about from birth until. 11, there's like a 10 year period in there that you're checked out of a lot of things. You miss out on a lot of things. Cooley and I have had this conversation a lot of times because he'll say, he'll say, did you see, you know, didn't you watch such and such? And I'll, when was that on? It was on in 2002. No, I did not watch that. Yeah. And I, I can imagine that I didn't watch it because I was probably exhausted from not sleeping the night before. That, that may have been. I don't know what it was. But you did your own thing. You didn't really participate in the rearing of your children. So you probably no, actually, saw everything. I did just the opposite. I raised <laughs> my children on television according to what they should watch. Not as opposed to all, all this oh, crap. God, Rock, words, at least they got Rockford Files. Yes. Yes, Rockford Files, Godzilla movies, Abbott and Costello, and, and WCW Wrestling. Anyway, this story, um, I think I think it's really an interesting story, especially if you are familiar with people who have really tried to go over and beyond what is appropriate to help their children. But Kevin, in school the, or here's teams why I don't like anything. it. Here's why I don't like it. Okay. You can only relate. To, uh, I don't want to do this. Uh-oh. Go ahead and do it. No, I don't I'm care. not going to do I, it. I know what you're going to say. I'm not going to do it. I know what you're going to say. Go I ahead. Mean, I cannot relate to this story in any way, shape, or form. I know. I know. Okay? So we, we have slightly different perspectives on this. I, I can't relate to it in terms of what the parents did. Right. Let me explain that and right. be very clear on I, that. I, I, I believe you 100%. But I do know people who have gone well beyond what is appropriate to help their kids. And for those that haven't seen the story, and most of you have, basically those two actors and a cu couple of, of private equity people and, and very wealthy people basically were bribing schools to get their kids accepted. In some cases, they were bribing coaches of non-revenue generating sports in colleges to basically take a doctored up 
athletic resume for crew or tennis or bowling (laughs) when their kid didn't even participate in those sports, but as another way to help them into the school. This Lori Laughlin, is it Laughlin or Laughlin? It's Laughlin. Laughlin, and her husband apparently paid a half million dollars to get their two daughters into Southern Cal. Not a half million dollars to get them into Yale or Harvard or MIT or Duke or Stanford or Michigan, into Southern Cal. I mean, that's crazy to me. Like, if you're really going to try to send your kids into a, put your kids into a position to get ahead in life, you know, it would have been an Ivy. Yeah. But, but by the way, I know Southern Cal, and some of you tweeted me on this yesterday. I do know it's a very good school and hard to get into. I realize that. But would you agree with me that it's not Stanford? That it's not MIT or Harvard. It doesn't come to mind. It doesn't come to mind among elite institutions. But you know what? Just as a quick aside, a lot of these, like Maryland, a lot of these big state schools that maybe many years ago were not very difficult to get into are all now difficult to get into. Very tough to get into. Maryland's so hard to get into, especially for in state students. And I do know, because I've got a couple of friends who have uh, actually daughters at at Southern Cal, that that Southern Cal is difficult to get into as well. well, go ahead. Do you your your thought is first of all, you don't feel connected to this in any in any way, nor do I necessarily. I don't know anybody that paid this kind of money or de- did these kinds of things. You know, I mean, it's hard for me to relate because, hey, for one thing, when I was growing up and going to college, I mean, parents were not that involved. I know. I mean, kids kids made these decisions. Parents they just weren't involved. They, I mean. You know, I made the decisions about where I, w- I, I was going to go and, and, and stuff. And, and you know. It, Here's a ball. Be home by dinner. Yes. Exactly. That, that was pretty much it. And it was the same with college. So I can't relate to. And, and when look, when my oldest son, uh, who's a very good student, w- was picking colleges, we gave him a figure, an amount. And we said, pick a college <laughs> that costs th- this amount or less. Right. That was pretty much that was all, and we went on visits with them, but that was it. Yeah, we. I mean, so I'm I'm not I can't connect to the helicopter parent, and in this case, the Apache yeah. helicopter. Yeah, parent. I don't even I don't even yeah I don't even know what, <laughs> what the right description for it is. No, you you hit on it. I mean, there's the obvious, you know, person or group of people that are hurt, and those are the people that actually didn't get in because these people basically bribed their way in. That's obvious. But there's this, I heard somebody describe it last night as entitled mania. <laughs> entitled mania. That's a great description. You know, the entitlement that many children of privilege in particular, but not just privilege, the entitlement that just many children in period have at the expense of those kids learning how to accomplish and advocate on their own. You know, it's a, it's, it's a terrible thing. I've seen it as a coach, parents calling about playing time or questioning why their kid wasn't in the game at a certain period of time. Not a lot. I've had gr- really good, for the most part, in the last 10 years anyway. 15, 20 years ago, was even there, there were a couple of parents that I could share stories with. I, I'm going to write a book on that one day. But, <laughs> but you know, questioning uh, it's different things. And I, one of my favorite meetings ever i'm going to share this with you because it's one it's it's a coach that totally got it it was one of my sons i won't name which son it was it was jv basketball um the coach had a parent meeting before the season started right after the team was selected 
Um, this was like four or five years ago, maybe three or four. It's one of my favorite moments from a coach ever. He got the parents together at the school, introduced himself, congratulated the kids for making the team, told the parents how much he liked the kids so far, and then he said the following, Tommy, this will be the last time I talk to you about basketball the rest of the year. (laughs) He said, you can call me about a concern about your son that's non-basketball related, and I'll be happy to discuss it with you. I promise I have your son's best interest in mind, but if he's depressed or if he's struggling with academics or he's unable to make a game because he's sick in the hospital, of course, call me. Anything not basketball related, you can call me. Anything that's basketball related, this is our last conversation for the year. He said, I will not discuss playing time, your son's position, game strategy, or anything else that has to do with basketball. If your son has a problem with how much he's playing or why I call the timeout at a certain time or why he was taken out of the game after he made three shots in a row, he can come to me and talk to me about it. You can't. That's really good. That is essentially what you were saying and is one of the root issues of this problem is that these parents have never allowed these kids to accomplish on their own without their help or advocate on their own. And it's it ultimately it's it's one of the sad things because you know these kids the embarrassment that they are going to that they have suffered the last 2 days these kids that are in these schools that are now it's now a national story about how their parents bribed their kids into those schools it would have been much better for those kids as 18 year olds to face adversity to find out how hard it was to get into college perhaps get rejected by a few colleges before they picked the one they got into then the embarrassment that they're dealing with today would you have know, been a hell of a lot better i agree with everything you say except this this notion of embarrassment, Kevin. We are not living in the age of embarrassment. You I don't mean, you don't uh, think those kids with this their parents being arrested and the reason or they they were embarrassed that they, they were arrested aren't embarrassed the last two days aren't mortified the I last two days. Minimal. They can't handle adversity. I think it's minimal. Oh, I think that they it's it's more they they have already been conditioned not to handle adversity. They're tone deaf to embarrassment, Kevin. It doesn't exist anymore. All right, that's not really the argument here. Okay. But you you agree with the other part. Yes, I do. Absolutely. It, this is the thing and you know, like I I think about it. Of course, I have as a parent and many many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. At the same time, we have intervened at times. We have advocated, but more times than not. I mean, I've always felt it in the way of academics and sports with my kids. It's like you got a problem really with the coach, you talk to him. It's, it's, I'm not talking to the coach. It's in, I, it's 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 unless the, unless the coach is abusing you. you well, know, that's protection. That's Kevin. different. That's it's completely different. That's that's when you're protecting your kids. That's the difference. Right. The difference is you don't give up protecting your kids. That's right. But but you know. You, you you let them you let them live their lives. You protect them as much as you can, but you let them learn how to make decisions. They've gotta. I mean, to your point too, 
It is. They've been raised much differently than I was raised. My kids have been. It's just a different world. Yeah. First of all, just the technology has made it a completely different world. The the connectivity without face-to-face connection makes it so much different. There's so many things that are so much different. Parents have become much more hypersensitive to things that I, I know my parents were not sensitive to. No one, None of my parents, neither one of my parents ever worried about me walking to school by myself at six or seven years old. Yeah. I walked to school by myself. Well, I only, you know, had, I only had a block to walk. So I only had no three blocks deal. or four blocks to yeah. walk, but you, that, that doesn't happen really anymore. Yeah. You know, because the fear of, oh my God, somebody's going to snatch my kid or something's going to happen. Um, but, you know, and that, that creates, unfortunately, and that, it's not the kid's fault in, in many cases. And in fact, it's not their fault at all when they're super young, but it creates the, the, the it, it, there's like, there's no responsibility. We had so much more responsibility and you in your day, which was much before my day, <laughs> had even more responsibility. Yeah. I mean, my, look, uh, my parents never came to see me, uh, play any kind of sports and part because my mother didn't drive and my father worked nights. Like my father worked three to 11. So when the games would be going on, you know, he would, he wouldn't come see me wrestle, Yeah, let's say, which is good because I was a bad wrestler and it would have been embarrassing. Uh, but I, I made the decision to be, join the wrestling team on my own. That was my idea, <laughs> you know, and my parents knew about it, Right. but, but I mean, they weren't involved in it. They, they, you know, so it's, it's, it's different. I just, I do. I know that you say they're not embarrassed. I do feel for the kids. Now, apparently one of the daughters basically is some YouTube star, right, Aaron? There you go. She's one of the daughters. An Instagram influencer. Okay. So she already, apparently there's a video out there of her saying, I'm here for the parties and the games. I don't really care about the academics. There you go. You saw where she was when this news broke, right? No. She was on a yacht with a USC (laughs) official. (laughs) You see, this is what I mean. There's no sense. Kevin, we have people in public office in this country right now who 10 years ago would have been shamed from office. And I'm not talking about the guy. I'm talking about AOC. Well, I'm, I'm talking. No, I'm talking about this woman in Harford County, yeah. uh, a, a state legislator in Maryland, who basically should be out of vote. My point is, yeah. people feel empowered because there's a lack of shame. There is, there is no. And if there's no shame among the highest people in the land, why should these kids feel any shame? Look, they may not feel shame or embarrassment, but this is. This will be a, a situation for them that you could describe as adversity, and they're not they're not not skilled in handling it, <laughs> given their parents. I mean, it, it, they're just not. And and I will I will totally totally say that my kids aren't anywhere near near, you know, equipped to handle adversity like I was. They they just aren't. It, but. Hopefully they're equipped to a certain degree to handle it, um, but not always. I mean, everybody's got their own struggles, and everybody's got their own situations, and context is everything. But my God, I mean, a half million bucks to get your two girls into Southern Cal, or, or you know, what, what's interesting about these non-revenue-generating sports is once I started reading that portion of it, I'm like, yeah, that opportunity definitely exists because to create to create a biography that that's phony of course and who pays attention to these sports to know that this person's even on the team (laughs) 
You know, so I, if if a co- you know these coaches at that at that level get, get paid nothing, so if somebody gets a you know the crew coach gets a, approached, hey, my daughter is not a crew person, but I'm going to pay you three hundred thousand bucks to say that she is, and to say that because she's a good crewer or whatever you call those people that she can get in academically because that's the way it works and I don't have a problem with that like a lot of the non-revenue generating sports for athletes in our area lacrosse is a big sport in this area it's a non-revenue generating sport at in college but what lacrosse helps kids do is the kid that wasn't going to get into Yale uh, based on academics, can now get in because of lacrosse. There's nothing wrong with that. We see that across the board, universities. If you're a legitimate athlete and they want you to play on their team, now you can't be a C student and get in as a lacrosse player to Yale. Like me. Like like you. <laughs> but if you are you know, perhaps a B-plus student and your SATs are slightly below the level, the lacrosse will lift you over the level. Um, but this is not that. That's yeah. not what we just described. The parents, by the way, they're not going to go to jail. I mean, the same way they got their kids into school, they're going to bribe their way out of any real punishment, don't you think? Well, or they're going to be able to, I'm sorry, they're going to be able to afford the best to keep them from going to prison. Okay. It, it, Should they go to prison for this? You know, Kevin, I mean, this I is tough so. for me because I think we put too many people in jail in this country as it is. <laughs> right. For, for but everything. This, but these people you'd love to see well, go to jail. No, no, because, again, it's not going to stop the next rich person from trying to do the same thing. Right. And what's going to happen to these people? What are they going to learn in jail? I mean, what, really, what's the point? So, no, I'm not particularly hot on seeing these people punished. You know, I'm not a, yeah, let's 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 grind them into the ground kind of thing. I just we just I, I'm I'm not I'm not a big fan of jail. By the way, the the <laughs> uh the coach story that I told you, I forgot I forgot the capper to it. So after he goes through this is the last time we're going to talk about basketball, I you are not to call me for son's playing time position. That's a great. I loved I sat there and I was like I was smiling. I was like this is how you do it. Yeah. And then, sure enough, his last thing is, any questions? And I'm, I'm looking I'm around. No one's going to ask a question now, hopefully. Five questions, at least, <laughs> about what he just said. I'm like, couldn't it have been more clear? <laughs> All right, the conversation about basketball is over. And I think a couple of the questions were like, you know, what about team meals and stuff? Do you have a sign-up for that or whatever? But I think there may have been one or two about – well, what if he isn't getting the time and he's complaining? How should I tell him that? Come on. Anyway, um, last thing today. Westbrook didn't get suspended. Not a $25,000 fine. It tells you that, uh, you know, Silver, the, the, the guy that got banned for life, basically, from that from the Salt Lake Arena, that whatever he was saying was probably so out of line. Yeah, but Do we I know th- exactly? Has anybody gotten a recording of that, Aaron? I don't think anybody has, right? I don't I, think I, so. I don't think they got a recording no, of that. No, I don't think so. Uh, it was. I mean, he was backed up by his teammates. He was backed up by... By Utah. Yeah. Okay. And, and, the, but, and the reputation of that crowd. Yes. And that arena may have played into this. All that said, and I got roasted yesterday for the column I wrote about this in the Washington Times. I didn't Times. read it, sorry. Go to WashingtonTimes.com is it really doesn't matter what the guy said. You can't have an NBA star on a viral video going worldwide telling a customer, even a, even a bad customer, I'm going to F you up and, and F wife. up your wife. You can't have that. 
You just can't. And twenty five thousand dollars doesn't send that message. You you can you can be disgusted with what was said to Russell Westbrook and still say to Russell Westbrook, "We can't do it. You're you're in a business. I mean, look at the message that was sent out across across video. I mean, you didn't bump into this guy in a club. This was in a public arena. I know that. I I'm with you that the message has to be you cannot respond. Period. Doesn't matter unless you're being physically yes. assaulted. Okay, but if you're being verbally assaulted, your only reaction can be coach or assistant coach or trainer or whatever. Can you get the security guy to address this issue? Now they may have a, a fan problem in Utah that needs to be addressed. They, they have had okay, that. Okay, well I I but again, you just can't have an NBA star saying he's going to F up a guy and his wife. <laughs> I know, but you know, can, uh, on, you're, you're probably right. But to, on some level, to, if if what was said was really racially and, you know, homophobic, homophobically vulgar and attacking and threatening, you know, most of these guys aren't going to sit there and just take it. I understand that it's hard, you know, that, that it's not good business for your players to be threatening your fans. But everything, every situation is, this may be the one example where it was pretty hard for Westbrook to just sit there and be quiet, especially, by the way, if security's not doing anything about it. But I am more with you. I, I, I You can't have this. You can't have now twenty. He got fined twenty five thousand bucks. Twenty five thousand dollars. But I, that, I mean, for silver, I think that means that he knows what was said. Yeah, I, I get that. And I, I and, get that. and probably looked and, at it and, and said it, it would have been also, hard for any player in our league not to respond. Also, he's worried about what the players will think of him too. I mean, he that's got to be a two game suspension. Finding him does nothing, especially finding him twenty five thousand dollars. It's got to be a two game suspension. In other words, what you may feel like you're right to do that, and I understand the emotion, but we can't have that. Now that's a situation where you want to send a signal to the next guy, right. saying if you choose to do this, you know, and instead of doing it the right way, it's going to cost you. Yeah. I, I they have much more of the information than I have and that than you have. Um, I, I, but again, I know it doesn't change your mind. Right. I, it, it might change my mind. Let me just be clear on that. If 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 it were really super threatening from a racial standpoint or from a homophobic standpoint, it might change my mind in terms of the fine being, you know, adequate, being satisfactory. It's not a big fine. I get it, but it, it wasn't no punishment. He could have said. Nope, there's rusted nothing wrong. $25,000. Um, a couple th- things I just wanted to end the show with real quickly. First of all, um, Golden State beat Houston last night. Most of you aren't paying attention to the NBA, but here's why I wanted to bring it up. They had lost six of ten games, including a game the other night to lowly Phoenix. Golden State had. Kevin Durant was hurt last night, didn't play. If anybody's like concerned about the Warriors, they went to Houston, the hottest team in the NBA without Durant, and won. All right, so when they take it seriously, yeah. no one's beating them but four out of seven. Nobody. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is just this one thing that happened last night that I thought was interesting. Uh, the Wizards won. Um, Jabari Parker, you know, Jabari Parker's good. He's much better than I thought. He's got to improve his ball handling. He's got to improve his shooting, his defense, definitely. If he improved those three things, and it's a lot of things, I get it, he'd be an all-star. 
he is he is so much more athletic and explosive and a scorer near the rim than I ever thought. He gets to well, the rim with with he's unstoppable when he gets close to the rim. Did you I, I'm see surprised. What, did you see? I what had Scott, no idea he was that good offensively. Did you see what Scott Brooks said about what they did last night? Uh, what, compared to the game before that? I did not. Uh, apparently, they had a lot of turnovers in the game before that. Right. So in order to fix that problem, Scott Brooks said the coaching staff sat and watched the film of every turnover from that game. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew that that would work? You know, in other words, maybe they I were mean, watching uh, Walking Dead reruns before I that. Was just, when you started, I thought you were serious, and I'm like, wait a minute. They should be watching yes! the turnovers like the, after every game. This was some kind of revelation. Like, oh, my God, you mean we could watch these and figure out what's going wrong he, and try to correct it? He said that? He said, we watched and broke down every turnover from the game before. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, like it was the first time. Yes. Um, Jabari Parker had whatever they had in turnovers last night. Jabari Parker had most of them, but he also had 19 points on nine of 12 from the floor. Almost all nine of those made shots were probably within eight to 10 feet of the basket. He is, he's much, much better than I thought he was. I, I just wasn't paying attention. And I put, I, I tweeted out last night, Jabari Parker is good. And a lot of people tweeted back saying, I had no idea either. And I think what it is, Tommy, he's only 23. He's 6'8", 250, and he can score. He's not a good defender. He turns it over too much because he is a sloppy ball handler in traffic. But he can post you. He can face you. He's still not a great or consistent shooter, especially from long range. But listen to his last several games, all right? 9 of 12, this is his shooting percentages, or his field goal, uh, made field goal attempted numbers. 9 of 12, 7 of 13, 6 of 9, 6 of 12, 10 of 11, 9 of 13, 5 of 10. He's shooting from the floor. This is not Wilt Chamberlain. Yeah, I know. All right? He's shooting 65% from the floor. Very, very impressive. You know what? I'm sure he's going to go on to have a fine career someplace else. <laughs> well, they can't pay. Like uh, Ben Standing was on with me the other day, and he's right. You didn't get rid of Otto Porter's contract to replace yes. it with Jabari Parker's yes. contract. But I am really surprised at how he's so much better than I thought he was. I, I was a Portis fan. I mean, he's had some moments too. But um, here was the last thing, real quickly, and then you you can finish up with whatever you want to finish up with. Last night, the Pistons were playing the Heat. The Heat have to had to lose the game. It helps that the Pistons lost, but really the, the Wizards wanted the Heat to lose also, which is why I was halfway paying attention to the game. The Wizards are, Wizards are three, three and, and a half, half out behind yeah. the Heat. The Heat outscored Detroit 33-8 to eight in the third quarter. 33 to 8. 8 points in a it quarter. It was 21 nothing to start the quarter. They didn't score until there were 5 minutes left in the quarter. So I was curious as to how many times we've seen, you know, 8 or less in a quarter this year. 4 times this year we've seen 8 points or less in a quarter. 3 of them Miami holding the opponent to really? 8 or less. They have been a really good defensive team. They're going to be in the postseason if they make it as the eight seed. I mean, they're they're right there on the edge. 
Um, and they would be potentially Milwaukee's first-round opponent. But they're a really good defensive team. The other thing we didn't get to, really, and I'm sorry, but Teddy Bridgewater did not sign a deal in New Orleans. It's still possible, as we speak right now, that Miami's in play. That would help the Redskins if you want a quarterback in the first round, if Miami were to sign Bridgewater, because that takes a team that's got a quarterback need in front of the Redskins out of the quarterback need business. Um, and there were a couple of other things uh, from yesterday. Um, well, supposedly Teddy Bridgewater's worried that Sean Payton won't be there uh, beyond next year. He's worried that Sean Payton's going to wind up in Dallas. And I guess he's he's a Sean Payton guy. So he doesn't know who the head coach is going to be. Okay. So I, that's you, what I've read. You know what? That makes sense. Uh, I mean, that actually makes more sense than Breeze retiring next year, yeah. the way we've seen Breeze play. Right. Um, Eric Berry was re- was released by Kansas City yesterday, and a lot of Redskin fans are like, what about Berry? Look, he, he hasn't been able to stay healthy. He's not been the player that he was. Kansas City's let some defensive players go, including, you know, they traded D Ford uh, to San Francisco and they cut Justin Houston. I don't know who's going to pick up Eric Berry, but Eric Berry's been a shell of himself. He only played, I think, I don't know how many games he played in last year. Not many. He, he played in the postseason but I don't think he played a lot of regular season games. How about Mark Ingram to the Raven, to the Ravens? And Tevin Coleman, who I've always been a fan of, going to the 49ers in the perfect run scheme yeah. for Tevin Coleman. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but nothing uh, – the Raiders also signed uh, the, the receiver from uh, the Chargers. Um, Tyrell Williams. Tyrell Williams. Signed him to like a four for 44. So now it's Antonio Brown and Tyrell Williams in Oakland. Yeah. I mean, we could see a massive, potentially a massive turnaround in the AFC. Yeah. With Cleveland being, you know, a legitimate, you know, championship contender. Seems crazy, but their talent says they should. But they have a new coach, too. A new staff. And the Raiders could make a big jump in a division where Kansas City went 12 and 4, the Chargers went 12 and 4. Denver really just need I I I think Flacco is going to do well in Denver personally. They need a receiver there too. But but with Denver and Oakland improved. As as a quick aside so I don't forget, did you see Flacco's farewell on Twitter yesterday to yes. Baltimore? Did you see read through the responses to it? No. He's beloved in Baltimore. Beloved. Because of two things. Number one, he's a class act. Three things. Number two, the way he handled this year with Lamar Jackson. And number three, Baltimore fans bitched and screamed at times, but they also realized what I've been saying for years, because they called him, he's January January Joe, that that dude is the best quarterback in that franchise's history and was a big-time, big-game clutch performer. And I, I just I, I read through the responses to to his tweet, and I I could not find one negative response. Good, good. Um, he deserves. He them. deserves. I think he deserves. He deserves it. that. And did, I'm rooting for him in Denver. Did you see Bryce Harper's goodbye? Yes. No, he didn't say goodbye. Oh, I didn't see it. No. You, you there know was what, You no know goodbye. why? You know why? Because I read something yesterday about Bryce Harper's goodbye. I didn't really read yeah. it. No. But I there thought had, maybe it was true, but maybe it was sarcasm like you just, Yeah, you know. there, has, there has been no goodbye from Bryce Harper. Instead, there was the ESPN interview, uh, which we talked about the last time I was on, where basically he blamed the fan base for driving him out of town by saying, everyone kept saying I was going to leave. Everybody said from the time I got there I was going to leave. Would you see the other thing he said, too? 
it's going to be nice to look up into the stands yeah. and see a full house yeah, all the time. I know. And this is what I told you. I think that uh, being in what he perceived to be a much better baseball and sports town was oh, important it, to him. I, I think it was all about the money. Okay, it, it was, was all about the money and having having some kind of, of course, semblance of a well, record. That, that deal. was your original position, so, so you're not going to change it based on new information. It's just the way you do it. I don't um, know what new information you're <laughs> talking about. Oh, you know what I forgot to bring up with Scott was Game of Thrones. We'll do it next week because he's such a fan of the show. You know where I'm heading. Florida again? No, I'm heading over to Redskins Park right now to make sure I'm there for the for Landon, Landon Collins, Collins press conference. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it. Okay. I'm gonna watch it, but I'm gonna be watching Maryland here at three o'clock today. Uh I they should beat Nebraska. None of these Big Ten games have been easy, but they should beat I Nebraska. I feel like we've said that in every Big Ten tournament lately. The Big Ten is is so it really was a hey, great, great league this they're, year. They're a double digit seed. If they were a single digit seed, Mark Turgeon still hasn't beaten a single-digit seed in any postseason play while at Maryland. Really? Really. So none of the Big Ten tournament wins were double were single-digit seeds. Correct. That's because they were so highly seeded, so they beat the the double-digit seeds, the double, and, then and then they then lost to, to Michigan State. Team. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and they the win that he had, the wins he's had in the tournament were double-digit. Hawaii, yeah. Valparaiso. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, maybe today. Maybe well, it wouldn't be today. Maybe no, it tomorrow. Be today. Yeah, Maybe yeah. tomorrow. All right. Uh, thanks, Tommy. I had no idea this was a big surprise. <laughs> I'm so happy about it because it's so much more fun and it's easier when you're here. Um, thanks to Scott. Thanks to Aaron. Enjoy the day.